Yes, I've been very close to many incredible people and also very uh, close to their craziness and uh, always handle it easily. I was not scared. I was trying to be understanding and I had a lot of colleagues that were like scared to death and like they couldn't sleep like at the idea of meeting the designer the day after for example or they suffered when they were treated in a way which was not kind me personally i was laughing <laughs> but i grew up thinking i would have never implemented the same ways of doing with my people Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, Des Rock, CEO of cybersecurity company Seamonster, shared her experience as a Turkish immigrant in Australia and then as an Australian immigrant in the US. She talked about how reconciling all those different identities was key in finding her own authentic leadership. Today, we talk about the business of creativity and communications. Our guest, Silvia Negri, is the founder and creative director of Negri Firman PR and Communications, a firm with offices in Milan, London, New York, and Los Angeles. There are many agencies that started in Italy and managed to reach that level of global presence in little over a decade. And that's part of the extraordinary career that Celia has charted for herself. She started in fashion in the late 80s, early 90s, working both for other PR firms and directly in-house. In the process, she worked with some of the most prestigious designers in the world, like George Armani, Calvin Klein, and many others. In 2008, she started her firm to expand her communication experience to serve all brands with a creative band and also to include causes that are more socially minded. We had a very candid conversation about how challenging it was to work in the 90s in an environment with the culture that the fashion industry had then, and how coming up in that world shaped Sylvia's view on who she wanted to be as a leader and how she wanted to work with her team and the type of collaborative culture that she's trying to build in her company. Before we get into the episode, I would be remiss if I did not point out that, as you will hear at the beginning of our discussion, I have known Silvia since we were in high school in Milano, and it has been great to see her have the type of success that she's had. So this episode is truly near and dear to my heart. Enjoy. I'm so excited to have you here. You and I met each other in high school, and here we are only three years later. <laughs> um, no, all kidding aside, one of the benefits of being our age is that it is very nice to see people that you've met when we were very young have such a spectacular trajectory and work career. So here we are, as I said, just a few years after high school, and you are the founder and creative director of Negri Firman PR and Communication, which is a global communication firm. It's great to have you here and to talk to you, Silvia. Thank you. It was very nice to be here. And same, likewise for me, it's very nice when I meet friends there, you know, since always. Uh, and uh, we can also speak about work and do nice things like this. I always ask my guests at the beginning to start and give uh, my listeners their story. You know, however you want to say how you got to where you are here. Take as much time as you want. 
Yeah, it's a long story that I will try to make as short as possible. I think when I was younger, I, I had many ideas and dreams for my future and career. And the stronger one was I wanted to work in fashion. I didn't have a clear clue of what I wanted to do in fashion. But I was lucky because as a boomer, I got the right age at the right moment when fashion was very big in Milano. I entered the fashion industry doing other jobs, uh, and then I met who became my mentor, Carla Otto, who was already a very important PR, and actually, I must say, I didn't even know what a PR was when I met her. So we just, you know, started chatting and meeting, and we had the many connections. I was working with, uh, with some fashion designer that she represented. And one day she offered me a job, and I say, why not? So... At the beginning, I think I took the chance without exactly knowing what I would have been doing, but I was very young. I was in my 20s. And then uh, I discovered a world. I had the possibility to travel worldwide, to work with the most amazing fashion designers of the moment, uh, to understand how important and delicate was this job, which was... Uh, actually more than promote the work of this designer, but create, uh, help them defining their positioning, their image, protecting them from situations that were not appropriate for them. Uh, actually really working alongside these very, I would say, fragile, creative creatures uh, that are fashion designers. So I've been working with Carla for a few years and then I got an offer from Giorgio Mani and so I moved on for many years. I've been very lucky. I got amazing jobs. I found very uh, important and uh, very special people that trusted me and taught me many things and also gave me the chance to literally to exercise what I learned, uh, give me the trust that I could have done even if I was very young. And I think one of these, the most important one was Mr. Armani, who really trusted me and offered me many, many big opportunities. So I kept working like that. I grew up as a fashion and luxury PR working in house and became a, a richer to a, a big career. But at one point, I was, you know, in the meantime, I had my kids, I got married, I grew up, I had my family, and I was really always at working. But at one point, I was, I understood that that was not enough. It was a bit boring for me just to be uh, working only in fashion, only in uh, for one designer, only for following specific rules. And then... That's when I understood that I had many more interests, not only fashion, but arts, uh, design, architecture, creativity, and wanted to challenge myself and go outside there and try to see if I could implement what I learned in 20 years in fashion, uh, working on other industries. So I literally renounced to a very big position, very comfortable position. My bosses couldn't uh, understand what I was doing and opened my company. And my company was, uh, at the beginning, it was based in my kitchen. So I was moving uh, the computer and the papers from a table to the other one, according to if I was working or preparing the dinner for my kids. But I was very, again, very lucky. Many people trusted me and I got uh, several clients from the very beginning. So then I had to start thinking that was serious and I had to hire people looking for an office and the rest is history. So... My company is actually not specialized in fashion, but we like to say we are special. Our, our expertise is communication and PR. 
and uh, we navigate in the world of uh, lifestyle, going from fashion to design, architecture, luxury travel and hospitality, beauty, art, uh, and everything that responds to specific needs of uh, lifestyle, but also uh, the dialogue together. So nowadays, if you like a certain type of fashion, you would probably would like some specific design and then art and then you would travel some way. So this is what we call lifestyle. Another reason why I wanted to work on by myself was that, and this is very strange, fashion has always been one of the most forward-thinking industry in terms of communication and innovation. But the industry was very close to technology in terms of digital and, digi and the opportunity that the digital was bringing uh, to us. So uh, just as an example, when I founded my company in 2008, most of the most major fashion companies were why they didn't have a website. And uh, they were looking at social media as a, an horrible and uh, <laughs> as a devil. Because the concept and the idea of sharing information and images was absolutely not accepted. While for me, internet, digital, social media was very attractive and I could understand how well, it could have been a, become an incredible opportunity for someone in communication. So I wanted to experiment. And then my last job, which was at Calvin Klein, I was one of the executives at Calvin Klein in charge of a big area, Europe and Far East. I couldn't even go on Google and, for example, try to experiment with Second Life, which was the, the social media launch at the time. And I, and I wanted to do something. I was thinking that it could have been an opportunity for my company. So there was a big push also to go on my, on my own. And also one of the reasons possibly of the success of the company, because from the day one, we opened our doors to those that now are influencers or content creators that at the moment were just called vloggers. Uh, we opened our doors to social media. We got in touch. We, we tried to to experiment how to use social media to support our brands and all of that. And we always try, I always try to be innovative with my world, of course, now is with my work. Of course, we're now 15 years later, the business has been consolidated. In 2012, I opened an office in New York in order to be able to support my client here, because actually they requested me to come here and support them. And then uh, more uh, recently, I've been, we actually opened other two offices, one in Los Angeles and one in London by the end of last year. We think, you know, we went through many different phases, so the growth is not always easy to handle, especially if you want to maintain high quality in the services you provide. And uh, definitely all of the changes that we went through also were quite challenging for us as for everybody else, COVID, for example. But I always try to take challenges as an opportunity. So COVID, for example, was a good opportunity for me to put in place ideas that I had and I didn't have time to implement related to how to grow and implement our digital capabilities. So considering the fact that within the last few years, uh, communication has finally changed uh, very much and the um, percentage of work in traditional and physical ways versus digital have changed, definitely. It took us a while. <laughs> 
despite what we have been talking about for many years. Now it was time for me to do something else for my clients. So we developed a vertical department in a company which is expert at uh, digital marketing techniques and in, su- in supporting the business of the client in a more vertical and straight to the point way while we continue serving our clients also with our communication services that go from uh, uh, strategies development to PR services, digital PR, influencer marketing, social media events, and many other things. We are also trying to work on uh, our global expansion, which just started, actually, and we have taken this decision because we saw an opportunity on the market. I think the market has changed very much. Many of my traditional competitors uh, have sold the property or changed their structure, and uh, I think... uh, Days are now mature for a different kind of network. So a global team, which is very agile and very uh, fast in understanding the changes of the market and the needs of the client. A global team with a soul. We like to re- be real partners of our clients. We also like to support important causes. We did this from the very beginning. So I'm proud to say I've been the PR and I am the PR of very, some very special people worldwide from Jane Goodall to His Holiness Dalai Lama, despite what happened recently, or big association. For example, here in, in New York, we support the Alifornia Center that is very active within LGBTQ community and preventing and protecting uh, kids from homeless and problems in their life. We support UNCHR, the Agency of Honor for the Refugee. We support many other causes. And I think this mix of uh, being not being scared of changing subject, but being confident in our uh, communication skills and trying to be human and open to whatever happens is the key of our success. That's great. I have uh, obviously thousands of questions based on the conversation. I want to go back a little bit. So you started your career in an industry and an era of the industry when definitely it was almost mythologized that these big creative people, big designers were incredibly creative, but also at the same time, very volatile. You know, it was sort of like the the standard image of like the hero, the crazy hero. And so I would like to know, as you are navigating this world with with this type of leaders in front of you, how did that shape the way that you thought of yourself as you were coming up, you know, as the leader and how you wanted to lead people and work with people? It's a very interesting question because I have colleagues that went through my same, you know, that I met uh, working and we have the same career and we had grown up with very different ideas about this. So, yeah, it's true. I, when I when I started my career, it was a, a the golden age for fashion. So I had the chance to work with some very, very big and uh, very edgy creative people. Very soon I learned that fashion designers uh, <laughs> are a very special uh, sort of uh, creative personality. So they, have, they, they might be completely different in terms of style or character, but at the end they have codes which are the same. The way they uh, look at things, the way they relate with the, their team or the people and so on. They usually very, they need to be protected, but they can be also very aggressive. 
And of course, the end of 80s and 90s were an era, uh, also in terms of uh, ways of doing and labor rights and so on, quite different from now. So I think, you know, I survived because I have a very strong sense of uh, duty since when I was a child. But also because I was 100% fascinated by what I was looking, hearing, and taking part of, even if I was, of course, at the beginning, and my, uh, my positions were relatively important. And just the fact to be on the side of these people and be able to participate to the creative process or to support them or, you know, take part of the organi- to the organization of a show or an event or a photo shooting was exciting enough for me to not pay too much attention to the negative part. On the other side, I think... Um, also, I don't. I never needed to have, you know, my visibility spot, or I, I just consider myself as a soldier, and I was part of this army working for Jean-Paul Gaultier, Catherine Amnet, or George Armani, or many other ones. And I was admiring them and looking at them, and then I learned how to relate with them and also how to support them pushing them when it was time to push them and keeping them protected when it was time to protect them. The the world has changed so much. So when I started my career, fashion was not for everybody and most of the people was looking at fashion like craziness. So uh, my job in uh, pure traditional PR was more to protect their image than to push them to have visibility. Nowadays, 30 years later, it's completely the opposite. We're always looking for visibility for our clients, and it's very difficult because everybody's looking for visibility, <laughs> and media works in a different way. But and, and sometimes I have the idea that at the times, communication was uh, not so much related to business, while now uh, it's clear that communication is, needs to serve business and to support business. Yes, I've been very close to many incredible people and also very uh, close to their craziness and uh, always handle it easily. I think I was not scared. I was trying to be understanding and I had a lot of colleagues that were like scared to death and like they couldn't sleep like at the idea of meeting the designer the day after, for example, or they suffered when they were treated in a way which was not kind. Me, personally, I was laughing. (laughs) And I grew up, but I grew up thinking I would have never implemented the same ways of doing with my people. Yeah, so that's really what I'm interested in. And how does that reflect as you started building and managing teams for others? You were CEO for Carla Otto at some point, and then when you started building your own company, how did you start thinking about yourself as a leader, how you want to treat, coach and develop people and what culture you wanted in the company? I think it was quite natural. I never planned or strategized. What I had clear was I don't want to, and I still don't want, I don't want to replicate the way I've gone through. Despite I recognize I learned a lot, but there was another you know, a completely different moment and also uh, was very tough. So it was a system, uh, was a cruel system which I went through, let's say, in the first maybe 10 years, 15 years of my career, which is now over, doesn't have anything to do with the times uh, and especially was very effective on other people's uh, fragility. 
if, if you're fragile and if you go, you know, if you get treated like that, you, you your life can be ruined. I don't know. I think my life was uh, enriched by this because I got stronger. But I cannot tell you how many people, I think very few people get stronger out of that and, and they most get destroyed. So for sure, I don't, I, I grow up thinking I would never do this. You know, I was thinking if I ever w was in a command position, I would never do that. I like to uh, confront with people and I like to collaborate with people. So I grew up working with my colleagues and my, as a team. And then uh, the next step was by nature. Of course, this is not a very easy leadership way because sometimes, and I'm, I think in, in the past years, I met many people that needed to be, would have need to be treated in a different way, like with more discipline, a more military way. And this didn't work with my way of doing because they were, uh, they couldn't understand why I was involving them in the process and confronting with them and yeah like i mean i think we're all equal I, I appreciate ideas coming from everybody in the company it can be the person that opens the door or the interns or you know fresh ideas i always welcome different point of view i like brainstorming and and confrontation this is the way I work with my team and I try to teach them i think is the best way you know i, I learned so much from example when I when I was younger, like just by watching and listening what other people was doing, and I'm still trying to do that with my teams, working a lot with them on the operative side. Like we have very frequent meetings. We try to analyze problems or things to do and how to implement strategies, and then we try to find the best way. And then if they need my help, I'm there to help them. I just want to clarify one thing that is very interesting that only somebody who speaks Italian would notice the term confrontation <laughs> in Italian does not have the fighting. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. In English, a confrontation <laughs> is like almost a fight. I, I, I meant sharing ideas. Yeah, in Italian, to confrontarsi means to share ideas. So You're right. So something also, it's a very unique skill development is when you are working in service of a creative person and that's true in any industry where the final product is the creative product of somebody you enter in this very weird dynamic as you pointed out a little bit which is on one hand you're working for them but on the other hand in some ways they're almost working for you because you are the person who's responsible to connect them to the market and to get them to do things that are going to do the image so how did that, uh, you know, having to play that role for a long time impact your sort of your, your approach to the world and how you're working with your team right now? You know, I think that is the biggest, the, the most interesting part of my job, because my job, one funny thing is that I'm, I never, or maybe one sad thing of my job is that I never managed to explain properly what I do to my family and friends. So most of my family and friends don't understand what I do, and they just think that I spend my time chatting here and there, going to parties and traveling in nice places. Which is actually, first of all, not the part that I prefer, but also the part that is less relevant. My, the biggest part of my work is really working on strategies that are based on what my clients have in mind and create. And then uh, finding the best way to give the correct visibility to what they do in order for them to develop their business. 
and to work alongside them uh, in order to support their business strategies on every uh, second. And from this point of view, I work with two different people usually in the company. Sometimes it's the same person, but normally it's two different people, the creative part and the business part. So I deal with the CEO or the entrepreneur and with the designer. And this is the most interesting part because I need to understand what they have in mind. It's a sort of a sociological study for every every time and every time is different and new. I need to understand what they have in mind, where they want to go, what their weaknesses could be, what the best strategy could be to support them and then also be uh, flexible enough because normally things change quite quickly, both on the creative side, but also on the business side. And we need to be reactive and, and careful. This was the most incredible part, I think, of my experience, of my in-house experience when I worked in this big maison alongside these big designers, was really to be with them and during the creative process and, you know, very respectfully uh, watch, understand, brief what they were doing and then drop here and there an idea or a word that could be helpful to, to make the, pro- the project successful. And this was something I didn't want to lose when I opened my company. So the way we work with our clients is literally the same I worked before. So my promise is that we will be supporting them uh, not as an external company, but as a partner, as an internal team which has just been located in a different building. And we do that. And that is the most interesting part. Otherwise, our work would be quite boring, I would say, <laughs> if we don't have this create, continuous creative conversation, creative, and also businesses, creativity. How do you think about authenticity, both in the way that you work with your clients, but also in the way that you present your clients to the world in the process? For me, it's very important, and I appreciate this approach, which is, you know, uh, came, uh, I think, with internet and with the social media, especially in fashion, authenticity was not really uh, something uh, that you would have taken in consideration until a few years ago. But I think it's very important. And what is my, my job is to identify, I mean, this is what I believe, maybe someone else would think differently. But I think that to highlight the diversity, the different aspects that each of us has based on his character, personality, and experience, and bring them out within an appropriate communication strategies, this will give some extra values to whatever product you are promoting. So authenticity is very important. And to tell the real story and the real values and understand why and, uh, and how you arrive to present a specific project or object. So you have built a global company coming from Italy, which I think that for people who do not have a sense of what it means to work in Italy or in a smaller market that is not the US, or uh, I think it's hard to appreciate how hard it is to do that. To what do you attribute your ability to have been able to work in such a global way? I don't know. Again, I never spent too much time to thinking about my 
success or my qualities I just usually I'm very critical so I spend more time thinking on what I did wrong and how I could do better I love what I do passion is a biggest drive also without passion you won't be able to do this job because it's very exhausting sometimes and very invasive of private life I like it and I think the actually one step back I think the one of the most interesting uh, aspect of working in fashion industry from the one day one when I was a photographer assistant back in the 80s trying to become a fashion designer has always been that fashion is global so you meet a lot of people from other countries regardless where you're working and you are called to work in team with strangers without any preparation and that is great actually it gives you the chance to meet other people with completely different point of view different languages different styles and this is i think the thing that i love more uh, is to i'm very curious about people so i love to meet new people and to learn new ways of doing and new thinking and so on so that was something natural for me that I really love and I always work at internationally when I was uh, freelance before when I was uh, working at Carla Otto then when I moved uh, into Big Maison I always been exposed to an international team and conversation so when I opened my company, I didn't see any, I mean, for me, it was an international company. Of course, I had to, con- to convince my client about this. And at the beginning, uh, I was trying and then actually didn't succeed. I, I thought I could work internationally from Milan. So I'm based on my network of relationship worldwide, uh, based uh, all over the world. And uh, considering that Serving my clients from Milan would give me a little bit more quality of life and especially to my client a little bit more of my time and dedication because I had the example of my ex-boss which was traveling full time and very often it happened that she was in another continent where she was needed in, in another place. But then actually I changed my mind uh, because I realized that yes, you can do a lot thanks to technology and think of us now but it's not enough in my work I mean there's nothing like meeting a person in, in person <laughs> and nothing like natural chemical and natural uh, you know we're human beings so we need to have a real connection in order to to properly exchange something so yes technology is helping a lot but sometimes to meet each other in person to be able to present a product in real and all of that is very important. And also in terms of ways of doing, the world is very different. So the way you talk to a journalist or to a person in the US is different from what you do in China or in UK or in Italy. And having a team, full-time team in, in the country, which are important for my business, that from one side they share my ideas and vision and they're very important for me because I didn't want to put flags here and there. I did want to have efficient working offices which are uh, leaders in in the countries where they are based and they can work with or without me and support my clients at best so the search for the people was quite complicated but i succeed and uh, now i feel serene and happy that even if i'm not here my client will be served at best and my our connection will be continue managed at best in real with people which is here and knows how to do it in New York or in Los Angeles or in London. 
And what I do is that I, I travel and I spend time working with my team and refreshing my connection because I have, of course, uh, a lot of contacts all over the world developing new ideas and new projects and new uh, services for my clients. But I do it working in team with the people that works for me. So we are a global team and uh, I think my they're as important as I am. Otherwise, I would not be able to do it. For somebody who is thinking about how they should communicate themselves or, or a product, what are two or three pieces of advice, steps that they can take to think about that? Nowadays, it's easier to communicate yourself and the product. Thanks to technology and uh, social media, we are media ourselves. But there are rules and rules that are uh, constantly changing. So this is a bit challenging. So I think that, you know, the basic keys are to be authentic. As we said before, authenticity is very important. People perceive authenticity and doesn't like fakeness. This can be either in, you know, live or through digital media. It doesn't change. And then um, also people like stories. So I like to know a little bit about who's behind the product, who's behind an idea. And I think this is also important. And then it depends on the product for sure. But it's very, diff I mean, it's complicated. The market is full at the moment. Uh, I think we don't need anything new in theory because we are full of brand of any type of product. We are overwhelmed of products. And uh, we also need to be a little bit more responsible thinking of uh, planet, environment and so on. So another important value right now could be to make sure that whatever product you're launching is a product that responds to the current needs and problems. So it must be sustainable, it must be recycled, it must be something clever and intelligent that we really need. So this is a big part of the process of communication. Also because we need to look at who are our customers and present the products in the way they like. Also, one thing which is very important is not to fall uh, in those stupid tricks. Like everybody now is looking at Gen Z or younger, or younger generation. Sometimes you do have a successful product, which is not for Gen Z. Fine. You never leave your target, which is real, for someone that is not your client. If you are not sure that you are making something that will appeal to the desired new clients. This is the biggest problem I see right now. A lot of companies come to me and they say, oh, we want to talk to Gen Z. Yes, but what do you do? And they do produce stuff that is not interest for these kids. So why should they do it? And you, do you have a successful business? Yes. Why do you want to change your target? It's a stupid thing. It's a waste of energies for a non-granted success. Since we mentioned success for your clients, I just final question. This is personally for you. How has your personal definition of success changed over the years? Personal for me, yeah. you think? I'm not sure it changed. I think my personal definition of success is that success is when you have a good balance in your life between what you do and your job, but also if you are a happy person, if you have time for your friends, your family, and things that you like, and that's success. And then I think I love my job because my job is 
not boring. It's never the same. My days are very different. This is a bit challenging from a private life point of view, but uh, I'm quite flexible. My my suitcase is always ready, and uh, it allows me to meet people, new people, and interesting people uh, all over the world uh, to jump into interesting conversations, uh, get to know interesting things and ideas. This is success, I think. Uh, success is a good balance with your life. I don't think that a success in the career without anything else would be success. So before we go to the what I call the personal questions, if people are interested in contacting you, finding you, where can they go? They can easily. Nowadays, I think most of the people get in touch with me through Instagram or through LinkedIn. Absolutely fine. Or they can go to our website, negrifirman.com, and, and look for the numbers. Or ask you and you on a private channel and you put us in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. So in the site, the Negrifirman is spelled N-E-G-R-I-F-I-R-M-A-N.com. That's it. First personal question, you mentioned uh, balance. What is a passion that you have outside of work and how has that maybe impacted your work life? Traveling, which matches perfectly my work life, is one of my passion. My family, of course, my kids have been, uh, they are my, they are grown up now, but they've always been my biggest passion. And this was a bit complicated with my work to find the time for both sides. But I, I, I think I've been... Uh, Struggling as every woman and actually had to change both times. I have to change my job because at the times it was not so fashionable to have kids, but uh, I succeeded and it's fine. And uh, my friend. And then I have, yeah, many passion. One is motorcycling, which I love and I try to find time for when I have time or when I need to, you know, get rid of everything and relax. I take my bike and I go through hills uh, and roads, whatever, around Milano. What do you drive these days? I drive very, I mean, at the moment I don't drive anything because she's stuck at the mechanical, but I, I'm, I hope to get it back when I go back to Milan, and I drive a vintage Honda at 354. Nice. It was a very popular motorcycle when we were 18. Yeah, from 19, it was. It's a motorcycle from 1975, and because I'm slave of my passion for beauty and aesthetics and design, that for me, that bike is the archetype of the perfect archetype of a motorcycle. It's red, and it's the, the design itself is perfect. Then, of course, it's old. It requires a lot of maintenance and attention, and uh, it's not maybe the best. If you're a biker, you know that it's not the best bike that was produced through the years. So now I'm considering something else. I just started the collaboration with Ducati. I might look into Ducati <laughs> for the next. That's fantastic. So a second question is one of my favorite questions of the podcast. It is... Every era has these business expressions or cliches uh, that at some point become so pervasive that they lose meaning. What is an expression or a business cliche that drives you crazy? Expression in general, there are so many, maybe not so related to business, but also like there are words that I cannot stand anymore. Storytelling, for example, or resilience. Is a, it's very used in Italy, especially. Resilience is something that people use without knowing what it means. 
synergies or you know we need to renovate and actually sometimes I understand that I was using this when I founded my agency lifestyle for example is something I'm desperately trying to change because when I opened my agency I was the first one to speak about lifestyle conversation between the different industries but now everybody says this so it's time to change <laughs> that's great and I love the fact that you pointed out storytelling because it's something that I also feel working in marketing as well, it's been so over-abused that it's lost any kind of meaning. Yeah. Final question, I call this food for your body or food for your soul, and you can choose whether you go the body way or the soul way. The body is, you can share a recipe or a drink that you love right now, and the soul can be a book, a song, uh, a piece of art, a movie, a show, or something that right now you're really enjoying. I was not prepared. I'm a reader, so I read uh, a book every two days. And right now, I'm just reading thrillers, so I wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, trips for souls are just to dedicate time to yourself and to whatever you like. It's books, it's movies, it's just, for me, it's even just watching nature. To spend time in nature watching changes in the sky or little animals and hearing the sounds of nature, that's something amazing for me. Especially when you live in cities with a fast pace and, and pass from a, a call to a meeting and, a, and another meeting. That's why also I like my motorcycle because I can go everywhere and then I can stop and just watch what's, what's around. So contemplating nature for a moment, I think it's a, a big soul uh, medicine. And for body, I think I don't drink so much. I love simple food. So again, I'm more for simplicity. Simplicity is very important for me because it's, you know, I, I live a complicated life with a lot of stimulations from all of these people that I work for, different products, different team and so on so then when i'm by myself or with my ideas i like simplicity celia thank you so much for being here i'm having a moment of like kind of like of a vision of the two of us maybe we must have been like 19 or in our 20s talking to each other i'm thinking i'm wondering if i would just jump in there and say hey in 30 years <laughs> you will be having this conversation and Sylvia will have done this I think we would look at me and say like, you're crazy. So it's great to have you here. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and my listeners. Thank you, Dean. It was very nice. And thank you for thinking of me. I really enjoyed. I know that I kept you waiting for long, but it was not my, my fault. It's just my agenda, which is crazy, but I really love it. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Five stars all the way. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattane, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For more information and all the links for Sylvia, go to the episode page on my podcast website. The site is al4ep.com, spelled with the number 4, and you can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The handle in both places is at al4edp with the letter D. 
and on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. As promised, here is a song by Susan Cattaneo. The song is called Fall to Fly. The snow would glisten like a sea of diamonds in the sun All bundled up in hat and mittens I'd be out the door and on the run To the meadow, my place Beneath branches of icy lace Arms held out, eyes shut closed I'd lean back and just let go And I would fall to fly A snow-white angel I'd spread my wings to the sky The city lights, they seem far brighter than the moon on snow Turned in my wings for earthly things Forgot the feel of clouds on indigo I was strong, I was proud Keeping both feet on the ground I feared love like I feared height I just didn't realize that I can fall to fly A snow-white angel, I spread my wings to the sky Yes, I can Fallen snow at dawn, you move me And with you by my side We'll soar, we will climb Straight to the heaven skies And we'll fly A snow-white angel Fall to fly Fall to fly